0: Hello, Prestige Heads, and welcome to American Prestige. I'm Danny Bessner, here as always with my friend and comrade, Derek Davison. And we're very excited to welcome uh, to the podcast today, Negar Mordazavi. Negar is the host of the Iran podcast, and she's also a senior non-resident fellow at the Center for International Policy, as well as a journalist. So Negar, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So why don't we just start with a, a basic question? There's been a lot of Recent talk about the Iran Israel U.S. relationship in the last few months since the October 7th attack and Israel's bombardment of Gaza. So, maybe you can just situate what has Iran's response been to the U.S. supported um, bombardment and Israel's actions in Gaza since those attacks?
1: Well, Iran, uh, which essentially is the leader or coordinator. Uh, what's called the axis of resistance. A group of state and non-state actors across the region who are opposed to Israel, opposed to uh, U.S. military presence in the region, have made a few different uh, kinds of responses to the war in Gaza, to the Israel-Hamas war. In the Red Sea, the Houthis, the Yemeni group, the Houthis, um, have been attacking ships that they say are connected to Israel or going to Israel or have some kind of um, other ties or connections. In the northern front, in, in Israel's northern border, the Lebanese militia, Hezbollah, um, has been involved in skirmishes with the Israeli army. Um, in Iraq, Shia militia who are supported, backed by Iran, have had skirmishes with U.S. and coalition forces. So it's been going in multiple fronts, but what I think is important—we haven't reached that level yet, but we may soon—is that there hasn't been any direct confrontation really between Iran and the United States, and not so much between Iran and Israel. Now, although on in parallel, simultaneously, we have seen for years this shadow war that has been going on between Iran and Israel. Um, And that's continued since October 7th with assassinations of um, Iranian generals, Iran targeting or attacking targets that they claim are tied to Israel. But it's it's sort of stayed in the shadows and it has to some extent remained in the shadows since October 7th. I would say it has escalated a bit, Um, but just This week, I think, is this is one of those moments that we're gonna look back in history and probably say that was the moment when it escalated into a bigger conflict, or that was the moment when actually the two sides de-escalated and prevented that big conflict.
2: Nagar, maybe we could talk a little bit about the Iranian government and how it views the situation in Gaza from a regional perspective and from a sort of ideological perspective. Where does Tehran Stand on this, and, and what are what do you think uh, is the aim here?
1: Well, I think as the name, the axis of resistance, essentially goes, and Iran's basically regional policy for decades, they are opposed to Israel as what they see their main enemy in the region, and they're also opposed to U.S. military presence in the region, not U.S. bases, but also. U.S. wars and actual involvement in the form of the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan, the two main wars in that area, but also U.S. presence in other uh, countries and theaters, um, one of them being Iraq, where the Iran-backed militia are are confronting U.S. forces and coalition forces. Uh, When it comes to the uh, Israel-Hamas war or Israel versus Palestine, also Iran and the actors of resistance see themselves on the side of what they consider resistance to occupation, resistance to Israeli presence in the region, to their policies, to their um, repression of the Palestinians, attacks on Palestinians, attacks on Gaza. So the, the various areas in the Red Sea, in the border with Lebanon in Iraq that were seeing these um, operations or these skirmishes, uh, Happen by the axis of resistance, supported by Iran, essentially is aimed to raise the cost for Israel, to raise the cost for the United States, and basically a demand to stop the war in Gaza, um, and and to essentially weaken this this and this regional enemy, which is Israel.
0: What is Iran's outlook for the region as a whole? How how does what's going on now play into their larger grand strategy?
1: Well, I think the Iranians are benefiting or happy that Israel is, you know, weakened, is, is being bogged down, is um, busy or distracted in that southern front in the war. They also think this is, sort of maybe a path for the U.S. to reduce its presence. We're hearing calls even by the Iraqi government or the various groups and militias in Iraq calling for U.S. and coalition forces to leave that country. It's something that Iran has supported for many years. And to just overall achieve a weaker or less visible presence when it comes to both the United States and also the U.S.'s biggest ally, Israel. Now, how much of that is going to be achieved from this war, essentially from conflict? I don't know if that there's a clear path to that, but eventually I think Iran is benefiting and happy seeing Israel and by such in the US uh, being weakened and being distracted and involved in all of these multiple conflicts in different theaters.
2: Okay, how would you characterize the relationship between Iran and in, in particular the IRGC and the Quds Force and the uh, members of the quote unquote axis of resistance? How, it, there's most of the coverage in the. US treats these groups as uh, voids basically just proxies for the Iranians, Uh, But I think when we're talking about what happened in Jordan and and, uh, the risk of an escalation in the region, uh, it's important to understand whether these groups are acting on their own sometimes or if they're really taking like daily marching orders from uh, the Iranians, which I find hard to believe.
1: Yes, exactly. So we hear these groups, these various groups, state and non-state. So there's Iran, there's Syria and then there's also these non-state actors Hezbollah the Houthis Iraqi militia um that we we hear uh to analysts referring to them as proxies and i i don't like to call them proxies because that removes our understanding of the relevant autonomy of these groups essentially these groups have some organic local grounding. They started as the started as an insurgency, resistance for their own constituency in Yemen, opposition to their central government. Hezbollah started as a resistance to Israeli attacks, Israeli occupation of Lebanon. Uh, the Iraqi militias have some grounding. So they have a level of autonomy. And they don't operate as bases for the Iranian, for the IRGC or the Iranian Armed Forces or, or even proxies that are run by Tehran. But they are supported and benefit from coordination, I would say, from Iran. So it is a loose coordination of allies with shared goals, with shared benefits, the bigger goal of being anti-Israel, anti-U.S. presence in the region. And essentially resisting that what they what they consider, but I don't I don't consider them as bases or as proxies that take direct orders from Tehran or operate uh, completely uh, under the uh, control of the IRGC. And each of them also has a different relationship. So Hezbollah in Lebanon has a much closer, much more. Define shared goals with Iran. than, for example, Hamas. Um, the Houthis, is also different. But I would say they all do share that bigger goal, as the name suggests, of resisting U.S. presence in the region, Israeli um, policies in the region, and um, they do operate as a loose coalition of allies.
2: So I I want to continue with, I know Danny wants to get to the Houthis and we can we can do that in a minute, but I think the immediate concern right now is what the Biden administration is going to do in the aftermath of this weekend drone strike in Jordan that killed three U.S. soldiers. And maybe we could drill a little bit more into that. What do we know from the Iraqi militias? And this is where the, the administration has pointed fingers. I think the Iraqi resistance uh, umbrella group did claim responsibility for the attack. Do we know anything about the intention there? It strikes me that this was not much different from any of the other attacks that they've undertaken against U.S. forces in Syria and Iraq uh, since the the start of the Gaza situation, except insofar as through whatever uh, combination of factors played into this, they actually wound up killing three U.S. soldiers, the the first U.S. fatalities in this. Is there any sense that this was intended as an escalation or or just a continuation of of what they've been doing?
1: Well, that's a great question. I think both sort of a continuation, but also an escalation. These groups, the Iraqi militias, have been involved in skirmishes with the U.S. and coalition forces. They have been uh, sending drones or shooting at American bases. And um, like you said, there haven't been any major fatalities. I think this was, and we saw reports. I saw reports from um, the U.S. side and intelligence that there was a friendly drone returning to base, and that confused kind of the base, and and it somewhat um, turned that drone attack of the militia into a very successful one with this fatality, three killed and a couple dozen injured, which is which is a major casualty. But at the same time, so this is in a way, in continuation to similar operations they had launched. I don't know if they thought this would go this far, that this would be this successful with this level of casualty, but from the reactions in Tehran and also the recent reaction of this umbrella group, it sounds like they realized they took it a little too far. So now we've heard the Iranians saying that they had nothing to do with this or they were not involved with this. And we also see that the are Camila Shah, which I think is either with pressure or coordination from Tehran, essentially saying that they are going to stop or suspend attacks on U.S. forces, which I see as a de-escalatory move and statement, which again signals that they feel like they've taken it too far. Domestically here in the U.S., we also hear a lot of calls and pressure on the administration that they need to retaliate, that they need to respond, and that this response should be very decisive and powerful to the point of, you know, many Republicans or more hawkish voices in Washington suggesting that the administration, the U.S., should go straight for Iran, inside Iran, inside Iranian soil, hit Iranian targets, essentially cut the snake's head, as they say, or hit them uh, where it hurts at the center. And I would say that would be a very serious and major escalation. I'm not sure if the administration is, is going for something like that inside Iranian soil is going to be a major red line for the Iranians. But essentially, the atmosphere that's created and the casualty, the serious casualty of that attack, I think, has signaled to the other side, to the axis of resistance, that they took it a little too far.
0: I want to talk about the axis of resistance for a second. Um, Is there anything that's uniting them ideologically?
1: Sure. So essentially resisting a gay—so first of all, this is a play on the famous George Bush um, statement of the axis of evil.
0: David Frum. Axis of evil.
1: Yes. And so this is the their essentially play on that saying, no, we are not the evil. You, meaning the United States and its ally, Israel, you are the evil and we're the resistance um, to your presence. What is the United States even doing in our region? This is our neighborhood. This is our region. And essentially, ideologically, a resistance to that, to that larger U.S. presence and also the, its closest ally, Israel is what has been uniting these groups. By extension, also other U.S. allies, mostly the monarchies, the Arab monarchies in the Persian Gulf, Saudi Arabia, UAE, um, have been considered as opposed or the resistance sees itself as opposing. Now, for example, the Houthis in Yemen, there's a Saudi side to that. But that, that uh, uh, part shifts, I would say, the main uniting force or cause for the resistance is resisting, first and foremost, the United States presence in the region, and um, secondly, Israel.
0: Yeah, that seems more like a tactical or strategic alliance than an ideological one um, to me. It, it, and, and that that kind of leads me to the next question, which is, what is the positive goal? Because obviously resistance is a negative goal. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, what is the the vision? Because one would imagine that they would just want the United States out of the region but then then what comes next because i do think that in the next 20 years hopefully the u.s will be less involved in the region so i'm wondering how this might foreshadow future political events or future alliances to come because everyone could as you saw in a lot of post-colonial states decolonizing states everyone could unite in the resistance moments but once once success is achieved then things tend to fall apart so i was just wondering what is the positive vision here or is there not one yet
1: I would say basically the way so when it comes to the relationship between Iran and Syria essentially Iran entered the Syrian war to protect Assad to help him stay in power and they succeeded with support from Russia that's seen as a resistance to basically threats that that threaten these uh, groups these state actors these non-state actors that see them as, Resistance uh, to protect the land, to protect their sovereignty. When it comes to, for example, Israel, the Houthis um, opposing the uh, Saudi-supported government in Yemen. So again, it's it's this idea that the the Axis or this group of actors have that they want to run their own countries the way they consider it without outside interference, without occupation in some areas of the region, without military presence, without regime change. You know, Afghanistan, Iraq, these are, these Iran especially sees that. They saw U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. They saw the U.S. invasion of Iraq as a serious threat. There was serious talk in Washington that Iran would be next after Iraq. So it's it's a package in different um, historical Times that essentially sees that big threat from the outside and has been trying to resist it or remove it. Have the U.S. leave the region, have the U.S. leave their countries, and and reduce its presence and involvement in the Middle East.
2: Let's shift a little bit geographically and talk about Iran's relationship with the Houthi movement in Yemen. How did that? Um, what what is sort of the, the the beginnings of that? Is it strictly speaking? Uh, they that the Iranians viewed the Houthis as a, a stick that they could use to poke the Saudis. Is there anything deeper or, or you know, that goes back further than uh, the start of that conflict? What what's the the sort of basis of that uh, interchange?
1: Well, the Houthis or Ansar uh, la is this Yemeni insurgency that um, appeared about two decades ago. It's a Shia. Um, religious Muslim militia insurgent group, and they have essentially opposed um, the government of Yemen that was being supported or um, backed by both uh, Saudi Arabia and the United States. So the the main opposition in that area is essentially, I would even call this. Part of a shadow war between Iran and Saudi Arabia. So, Saudi Arabia supports one side of the uh, Yemeni establishment, and the Houthis are essentially in resistance or an insurgency against that. Um, they obviously share a similar goal. Uh, Tehran recognizes them as sharing a similar goal against the US, against Saudi Arabia. Um, and um, they have been, again, loosely allied not directly taking orders from Tehran, I would uh, say, but have been mostly allied as one of the members of the so-called Axis of the States.
2: Where do you place them in terms of their relationship with Iran? I've seen speculation that part of the reason that the Houthis reacted to Gaza, started firing, first started firing uh, you know, missiles and drones at Israel and then shifted to this uh, operation in the Red Sea that's now brought them into conflict with the U.S., was part of the rationale behind that was to sort of bolster their value, in a sense, to the axis of resistance or to Iran. Do you see that as part of the calculus there?
1: Sure. So I think they saw an opportunity. Essentially, they found the enemy they had been waiting for for many years, and they saw an opportunity. Well, first and foremost, to would they consider raise the cost for Israel because they were saying that they're attacking Israeli ships or Israeli linked ships or ships that are going to Israel, essentially to make that route, that shipping route, unsafe. So those ships would have to take a longer route, takes about 10 extra days and cause essentially a major economic cost um, to shipping that goes to Israel. And in a way to use their resources and their capabilities capabilities, capacities to uh, insert themselves in a way into the SWAR. They have missiles, they have drones that some they have obtained in the past in recent years, some through Iran with support from Iran, and they are essentially in a different place than they were um, years ago. So it has created serious trouble for shipping in the Red Sea in that area. As far as their relationship with Tehran, it's one of those, again— uh, I want to look at them as maybe dominoes and the Houthis are not the closest ally when it comes to this network. If you look at Hezbollah, as I see them as the closest to Iran, even the Iraqi militia, the Shia militias in Iraq have a closer relationship, closer coordination, more of a shared goal and more importance Um for Tehran, if, if you look at it as a spectrum, the Houthis would come after that. So still Iran sees them as an ally, still Iran sees Yemen as an opportunity to continue a shadow war against Saudi Arabia, against the U.S., and now in the Red Sea, it's one area that they are causing trouble and raising the cost of the war for Israel, the Israeli economy, and now with the U.S. Um, but it's not one of the closest um, with Tehran. It's not like they're taking order from Tehran for every single attack and every single ship, but the overall mandate of this operation is something Tehran has supported and has encouraged.
2: So I think we're at a place to to wrap up and maybe we could um, just take go back to more of an overview of where things stand. Uh, you know, the U.S. is in this now open-ended military operation against the Houthis that Uh, You know, there's certainly risks of escalation there. Uh, We're waiting to see how the Biden administration responds to the attack in Jordan. There are risks of escalation there. Uh, I I think it's it seems pretty clear that the Iranian government does not want a war here, but they certainly must have red lines that uh, the U.S. could cross. And can you maybe looking at, at at least these two aspects, the militia, the Iraqi militias, And the Houthis, uh, where do you see, you know, the risks of of a potential uh, intensification, regional intensification of of this situation? Mm
1: -hmm. So I agree with you. Iran certainly does not want a war or a direct confrontation with the United States for obvious reasons. Um, they don't even want direct confrontation or a war with Israel. They don't want a situation where Israel would be attacking targets inside Iran or the U.S. would be pulled into a war with them. And I feel like they have, in a way, tried to coordinate or um, advise the militia this access to not escalate things out of hand that it would get to that level. Now, this latest attack in Jordan was seen as one step that, as I said, was taking it a little too far. But then again, we saw this essential campaign of public diplomacy by Tehran launched and now by the militia saying basically that in in a way, not saying, but saying indirectly that they realized that they took it too far and now they want to de-escalate with the militia saying they're going to suspend their attacks. And Iran also, at the same time, warning. So one thing we need to understand, I think the dynamic here and by both sides, meaning the U.S. and Israel and then on the other side, Iran and the resistance, each side thinks that they're taking a step that's calculated, that's raising the cost for the other without escalating and blowing things up that get out of hand. Now, how the opposite side reads that is another story. But I think at every moment we're saying the United States doesn't want to escalate this into a bigger war, but we see small escalations on the side. And then on the Iranian side, we say they don't want to escalate this into a major war, but then we do see these, what they consider limited steps of escalation. So I would say since October 7th, it's all been escalation in various theaters and by both sides, the multiple actors. But at the same time, it has been in a way calculated. Each side is testing the water to see how far they can go without blowing the situation up to a point of um, of having this turn into a major war between the U.S. and Iran or Israel. But I think we have only seen escalation since October 7th and, and very little um, of the opposite, which would be diplomacy.
0: Nagar, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back again sometime soon.
1: Thank you for having me. Yes.
2: yes. Fung, fung, fung,